All right, troops, strong and conditioned, live from the Chateau de Burpy in Glasgow, Scotland. And tonight I am very honoured to have the godfather of the noble Natty community, the one and only, the insightful, the super intelligent, the man with all the answers, Faz Lifts. Faz. Thank you very much for the introduction. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming on, Faz. How are you, Faz? I'm good, mate. Yeah, so thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, I know we've uh, talked for a couple of months now, so it's been nice to to sit down and finally have a chat. Absolutely. Absolutely, mate. Uh, so, Faz, obviously, the, most of the people who watch my podcast, they've got their own brand of fitness. Hmm. So they may be unaware of your presence and what you bring to the fitness sphere. So if you could give a, a brief rundown about yourself, we'll, we'll just take it for there, mate. Yeah, so um, at the moment, um, I'm a full-time coach. I coach online. Um, I coach mostly physique-interested uh, people, um, whether they're competitive bodybuilders or just regular folks looking to trim up. Um, I do coach a lot of competitors. Um, I also coach some strength guys as well powerlifters, some guys who are very, very strong, and other guys who are just interested in strength. I've been coaching full-time for three years. I've been coaching on a f overall basis for coming up to a decade now. Um, and I've been training since 1999. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty old, and I've been around for a while. Um, and I originally got my start in the same place I think that you did, Lee, which was the, uh, the hard gainer forums back in the day. So yeah, back in 99, when I sort of had access to the internet, I, I got on and I was involved in this Natty community back then, the original Natty community, which was back then, um, the original Noble Natties. Uh, and that was really where I got the start. And I just fell in love with training. I thought it was great. I initially got some pretty good results. And uh, it sort of sort of sky rolled from there, sky rocketed from there. I then competed for a total of 14 years in powerlifting. Um, I also competed in strongman twice in that period. I also competed in a very oddball sport um, called the grip training, grip, basically, uh, with a guy called David Horn in Staffordshire. And I competed there a few times, which is sort of an offshoot of strongman. And I competed in bodybuilding about five years ago as a bit of a change of pace uh, as I got older. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a bit of background on me anyway. You are a man of many talents, Faz. That's why I was dying to get you on the podcast. So, so, so let's backtrack. Let's let's go to to the source here. What was it that got you into training? So, um, when I was a kid, I was pretty overweight. I was quite fat. Um, I remember being about fifteen stone at fifteen years of age, and it wasn't a good fifteen stone either. So, I was a rotund little lad, but I, uh, I had a lot of energy, and I liked to play football. So, soccer for our American friends. Um, but because I was so fat, I kept rolling my ankles, as as you do. And there was one time I was sat at home after having busted my ankle again. And I think my mother said, look, you're not very good at this, so maybe you need to find something else. I was like, okay, fair. It's a fair point. Um, and my elder brother, he used to do a bit of lifting. So he dumped a bunch of bodybuilding magazines on my lap and said, here you go, read this while you're rehabbing because you can't do anything else. So um, I was sifting through these magazines, and um, in those mags, I came across uh, a guy, well, a couple of guys, one guy called Stuart McRobert, and the other guy was Doran Yates. So um, McRobert had a book at the time, and I thought, okay, let me get this book, 
It was called Braun. It was the original Braun. This was way back in 99. So I bought that book, came across, read it, sounded great, all made sense. And it all intuitively kind of jived with what I had already thought, which was to get big, I have to get strong. It made sense. And it was the same message that Dorian said. And, and back in those days, Lee, the muscle building magazines were actually quite sensible. There were some good messages. You know, they were written by the bodybuilders. There was nothing too glamorous in there, nothing too fancy, nothing about special exercises and techniques. It was just hard work on the basics. And that really made sense. So the book was essentially an encyclopedia of training from A to A to Z. And I thought, this is great. Called my brother and I was like, look, we're going to start training at a gym. It's like, great. So we're going to get jacked. Awesome. And, and that was it, really. That was how it all started. And after my first year, I realized I had a bit of a knack for it. I was relatively strong after my first year. I think I had uh, squatted about 140, deadlifted 210, and benched 80 after a year of training, which is okay, you know. Um, and I competed that year as well. Um, loved it. I thought it was fantastic. As you do as an 18-year-old, you know, lots of testosterone. You think this is great. And um, I just I just loved it. And it, it appealed to a part of me which really liked competition. I loved competition. So in that first year, I competed twice, once in powerlifting, once in strongman. And I just competed year in, year out for, yeah, 14 years until 2014. I absolutely loved it, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a very assertive approach in mm. taking into consideration that you dived headfirst into comp competing because that's... That, that, that's something that's so far ahead with regards to most people's fitness journey. However, what I find very interesting is that you read Braun at the embryonic stage of your lifting journey, which I'm kind of envious of because my journey, I was lifting for about six months and then I discovered Braun. And Braun was like a, a nuclear bomb going off in my head because I had been reading the magazines you were speaking about. Mm. And when you say that it had sensible information, I, I'm coming from the place that you never really questioned what you read then. Mm. You just took it like you, you just took it on board as the truth mm. because these guys knew better than you, as opposed to nowadays where you've got information coming at you from all angles, whereas back then it was it was limited. So what what was it about Braun that really resonated with you? Well, I think you're very right. Like we didn't really question things back in the day. I think it was also a sign of the times. I mean, if you recall that generation, the internet was very new. And really, where did we get our information from prior to that? It was the newspapers. And as a kid, you believe everything in the newspapers. I know that's to a 20 year old listening to us speaking now, us old guys listening to me now, <laughs> There's a lot of skepticism around things you see on the internet, and, and rightfully so. There's some crazy stuff. There's some whatever, you know, there's lots of stuff out there. We're in the information age. But coming from what people need to understand when they listen to us is coming from our perspective, when you saw the news and where you got your newspaper, because we used to get a paper delivered every day to the house, um, you believed it because that was your only source of information. And then you had BBC. You believed that. So when I got on the internet, and probably very similar to yourself, whatever you read, you thought, well, that's that's got to be true. It's somebody's experience. And I think it's a sign of the times. I think I I looked out and I read this Braun book and it made sense. It clicked because one, it was logical. It made sense. It, I like the way he wrote because he wrote in a very, very logical sense. That appealed to my mind. Um, but, but also it jived with what I thought of training, 
and that was if I wanted to be big, I had to be strong. And his entire message was, if you, I remember it off by heart, the phrase was progressive poundages in good form on the big lift. That's exactly what he wrote. And it made sense. So I think it was a, t a sign of the times. At the time, I just didn't question anything. I believed it. Obviously, the first few years of the internet was a bit of a mess because of that, because there were some people, unbeknownst to us, who were not so honest and were discussing things for their own reasons. So we became more um, calloused to information in the early days. But initially, yeah, I, I just, it made sense. It jived with me and, um, and, and yeah, I, I sort of went for it. So you, all, you also touched on one thing about um, competing quite early. I thought that was a really interesting point because that's, I think that's also a sign of the times. And I'd like to hear your opinion on this, Lee. Um, you mentioned it was quite an assertive move. I didn't see it as assertive. I'd, I'd, I'd love to take credit for it. I'd love to say, yeah, I was high powered, you know, testosterone fueled. But the reality was it just made sense. I didn't really go into competition thinking I'm going to dominate. I went in my first competition thinking this is going to be fun. I'd like to get involved. I want to meet people. Um, whereas now, and maybe you can comment on this, Lee, um, there seems to be a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves before they compete. And there's all this sentiment of, I'm not ready to compete yet. And I think that people put a lot of pressure on themselves, like trying to get to a certain level before they actually get involved with the sport. And the sport itself of powerlifting has a very low barrier of entry. And I think it's a testament to this generation, perhaps maybe being a little less sure of themselves on average. Whereas yeah. for me, it was like, hey, I just want to get involved. What are your thoughts? I think that back then it was so niche that you didn't have the pressure of people having knowledge of what you mm. were doing. It was just like some little corner of fitness. Most people's hobbies, particularly in Britain, were football, yeah. things of that nature. Whereas bodybuilding was just, it was obscure. It wasn't the same as it was in, say, America. We've kind of, like, British people are just kind of more reserved in that nature. Mm. So I think, like, a thing like bodybuilding in that respect, you would just go for it because you don't feel that many eyes upon you. And obviously there was no social media back then. So the only people who were going to see in a contest was a couple of guys in a, in a room. It mm. wasn't like Mr. Olympia where you've got thousands. It's getting beamed on live over the internet. So you kind of just, I'd imagine you would just be emboldened by that as yeah. opposed to nowadays where everybody lifts to the point where fitness in general is viewed through the lens of bodybuilding. Anything you do fitness-wise has got the, the, the image of someone who's generally geared up on anabolics to go with it. That's usually the benchmark of someone who's fit and healthy. So, But I'm looking at what you did through the lens of today. Hmm. Like, if you had told me like in 1999, you were entering a bodybuilding show. I would have just been amazed. But I would have also been amazed because back then, I believed that you could look like Chris Benoit in six weeks of starting a bodybuilding program. Yeah. Because I had no knowledge. There was no... We had nothing... To, the only thing we had to measure was the guys in these magazines. I mean, I know you'll remember, like... Remember the marketing that was prominent in those days with protein powders and Celtic, yeah, and it would be a guy who would be really fat. He would be yeah. sitting with his belly really extended, 
Yeah, and then it would go through a, yeah, and it would go through a twelve-week transformation, and he would yeah. be like nineties golden era bodybuilding chiseled style, mm-hmm. and you just believed that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was nuts. It was nuts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting point you touched on about there being a wider pool of people involved in fitness. And um, one of the things that I sort of really rally against is some of the older generation doing the whole, it was better back in my day. And I really don't like that because I, I also, as well as being a, a, a competitor, I was a school teacher for a long time. And so I am very passionate about young people um, giving them a fair shake, basically. And I think as an older member of the bodybuilding community and the, the natural bodybuilding community, I think it's it's our job to make sure we are um, emboldening the younger yeah. generation to compete and not just having this old man shouts out a cloud viewpoint of just <laughs> saying, well, it was better back in my day because it wasn't. There were, there were just as many you know losers back in our day as well. Um, yeah. And I think it's it's far too easy for older guys to to go, oh, it was it was better back in my day. And um, I'm not about that life. I think. I think it's this is why I wanted to just say, you know, it wasn't me being assertive per se. It was just a sign of the times. And I, I do think young guys right now have a lot of pressure on themselves and they feel like they have to be at a certain level before they compete. My my message has always been, I understand, but I think you should try for more. So I don't think we should baby them either. But at the same yeah. time, I think they do they do have a lot of pressure on themselves. Yeah. To expand on the fact that people would probably hold off competing. Mm. <laughs> When you went into that first year of competing, like I, I may be making an assumption here, but you would have went on the premise that you were going to look like that guy in that Cybergenics uh, video or like a bodybuilder from that age because you thought that those results could be achieved naturally, whereas people know that that can't... Like there's more knowledge now with the actual degree of results that can be achieved whereas back then we didn't have that knowledge we just assumed we could get like that if we trained hard and drank our wallpaper paste style protein well yeah i mean i'll push back on you a little bit if that's okay yeah of course Um, because because i was powerlifting i didn't really have any it wasn't really so much about my physique um, yeah. Of course, to be honest, once I had lifted for a year and I was no longer just a fat kid and I actually had some muscle on me, I felt like a million bucks. I thought I was, you know, I was on the school bus and people were accusing me of being on steroids. I mean, I thought this is great. All of a sudden, girls <laughs> were paying attention to me. I mean, never mind Mr. Olympia. Like, you know, Sharon wants to speak to me. Like, you know, it's like, it was that was great for me. So my confidence was sky high. So I, I, I felt even after that first year, you know, I've made it now. So. Um, yeah, but I, with my first competition, I remember being extremely nervous and not really caring that I didn't win. This other, there was two two guys in the category, this older guy and me, and he won. And um, I didn't care because I just thought it was fun. It was a good experience. It was only probably a couple of years down the line where I started to get hyper competitive. And then by that time, my mentality had entirely changed. And I, I didn't just want to win. I wanted to absolutely batter everyone Um, but in the early stages that wasn't the case for me it was very much um i'm just having fun i'm a kid having fun it was great we had had a good time my brother would compete with me as well it was it was awesome yeah so one thing that i I want to touch upon is you made a comment in one of your videos which really like it really resonated with me i actually had a conversation with a friend after i heard that because I'd never looked at it in the way you put it and it was when you were speaking about programs and you spoke about back then we we seen a program uh, in a magazine and we just did it. There was no 
like thought process. There was no choice. You just did the program. There was this. There wasn't even RPE, RIR. There was just like four sets of twelve. There wasn't even an evolving rep range in that respect. <laughs> there was just yeah. like four sets of twelve. But you never, but you never questioned it. And I think the fact that you don't question these things can, can it can get you good results because you just divert all of that focus into the actual meat and potatoes of the program, which is execution, yeah. as opposed to the the, the, the option, the, the paralysis by analysis that can manifest itself when you get go down the the rabbit hole, so to speak. So, what what was the programs that, that that you gravitated towards when you started your bodybuilding journey? Was there any particular one by a bodybuilder? Or? Yes, there was. There was. So, um, I I did powerlifting from sort of ninety nine till two thousand and seven. Now, in two thousand and seven, I had been traveling around Asia. I traveled around um, South Korea, Japan, and China. I came back. I hadn't lifted for a few months because I was I was backpacking. And I started to go back on my powerlifting routine, promptly tore my hamstring, really bad tear. And that was when I got introduced to bodybuilding. And so from 2007 to 2011 was my first taste of bodybuilding. I'd never bodybuilded before that. I'm, my entire focus was powerlifting. I didn't care about really how I looked. It was more about my strength. So for the first time, the doctor had said, look, you're never going to compete in powerlifting again. And I was devastated, obviously. But um, not going into all that. I contacted a guy called Casey Butt. Do you remember him, Dr. Casey Butt? Yes, yes. Our, yeah, our viewers will remember him because he's the guy who came out with the 25 FFMI calculator. Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. He had a forum back in the day, and I asked Casey, and he was kind enough to talk me through completely how to bodybuild for hypertrophy. Um, and it, his favorite thing was full body routines. So my most um, successful ebook is the wizard ebook, which is a full body hypertrophy ebook. And it was basically the teachings of Casey, as well as what I've added to it over the years. And that was my first introduction to actual hypertrophy training. And it was awesome. I mean, I still run the routine every now and again, it's fantastic, but it was a heavy light medium full body setup, very unique, very different to things like Eric Helms and Jeff Nippert have put out my own unique system no one else really talks about things like that from a hypertrophy context there are plenty of full body strength routines or general training routines like starting strength and i know andy baker has a few but this was a specific bodybuilding style routine and it was just tremendous so that was my first introduction it was heavy basic lifting but also a wide degree of variety i guess in the modern context the closest that people would come to it would be a mike zordos DUP style of routine if the viewers are familiar with him. So, um, but I expanded on that quite heavily because I, I went up to quite high volumes, training multiple times per week, five, six days a week, full body, and it was extremely productive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you strike me as a a man who knows where to source good information from the offset. Like most people, they, they have to go through a whole ton of rubbish to start to find the nuggets whereas you've like you've discovered brawn from the word get-go and then casey but who is, is a legend in his field i mean i, I don't oh, know yeah. I, th I think he's i think he's still alive and i think if you see him today he's like the most ripped 85 year old guy you'll ever 
set eyes upon because you would see pictures of him with a comb over and he would be standing there with like some chiseled body. So you've you've had the ability to have access to great knowledge from the offset. And why is that the case, Faz? Do you just have that instinct or...? Uh, something which I've I've always been quite keen on. It's, it's a good question because I've never actually thought about it, but thinking about it now, something which I've been never been afraid to do is ask for help. I think it's a key way to get better. Um, like even now, I ask for feedback from everyone. I ask feedback from my clients. I even ask feedback from my YouTube viewers, which uh, would normally be a recipe for disaster, but actually they were all very <laughs> gracious and they gave me some good advice. Um, just recently, I asked a fellow YouTube colleague to kind of judge my channel and give me some feedback on that so i've always been very keen to ask people for feedback and i think if you approach if you approach somebody with an open heart and an open mind with no ego and you ask them for help and they're a genuine person they very often give you a very genuine reply and it's um it's i think it's just a case of approaching these things with humility so i was always very keen on I always had a, 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 a need to learn and to get the best answers. So I was quite keen to ask questions. So interestingly enough, one of your guests who you'll have on soon on the podcast, Dan John, I emailed him in 2002. Now I was just some dumb kid from England and he was this mega superstar, Dan John, American coach, right? Emailed him, I specifically remember at 12 o'clock when he went, I went to the gym. By the time I got back, he had already emailed me back and it was amazing. I mean, you know, amazing. I, I, I didn't think he'd email back at all, but just yeah. on an off chance, I asked him for help. And he was a very influential part of my journey. And he taught me about programming early on. Um, so yeah, I was, I was lucky to, I was lucky in the sense that I asked questions of the right people and they were very forthcoming with advice. And, and I think I'm also quite good at listening and passing information. So if somebody says something to me, whoever it is, whether they're a coach, a trainee, a client, whoever it is, I'm always going to listen. Now, I might not always take the advice on board, but I'll always listen. And I think it's important to remain um, a lifelong learner and not to get too arrogant in your abilities. Because even now, I coach full-time. Um, I could easily be arrogant about things, but I think it's important to maintain a, a healthy perspective on who you are. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I want to also backtrack a little and speak about your like concerns with older-style lifters who... <laughs> get like they think that people don't train as hard nowadays and i wanted to actually raise a point on that when i feel that the evidence is suggests otherwise because the physiques in gyms are a lot better than they were when you started the gym so i, I think like that's just that old guy mentality we get older <laughs> Like life starts to weigh heavy upon us, the stress. Which it was, which is kind of funny because, like, when I look at the noble natty content, a lot of it I feels geared towards a certain demographic. Hmm. Like it's there's like I want to do a lot of these workouts, but I don't have the time. Yeah. And I th I feel like that's a potential like gap in that market, which I think you fill to that. Yeah. To that extent. But it's a very interesting point that you raise because I get like that sometimes, Faz. Like, I go in the gym and I look and I'm like, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Like, there's like I'm, I'm walking in a gym and I'm, there's more tripods in a gym than the BBC studios. Yes. And it, it's it's it's, it's like, I, I get it, right? It's, I'm old. I, I Like, I need to take a step back. I'm just for many kids. 
Was that? <laughs> I'm just very kids. I like that. I like that one. I like that. the, the Americans get that one, but that's a very controversial one. That's a very controversial one. <laughs> kind of threw me off a little with that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I, know what you're saying. <laughs> I, I, I have to fight against the sort of old man shouts of the cloud myself because sometimes I'm in the gym and I see some real stupid stuff and. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I get yeah. it, I get it. But I think what I remind myself of is it's not productive to to just sort of blanket shout at everyone, I think. So I try not to do that on my YouTube. I think I think there are some guys in the space who, who do have this sort of really ranty, um, uh, sort of uh, strict father figure type of um, stance on things. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know how helpful that is. I think it, I think it's funny. You know, it's well, it's a, it's a type of humor which some people find funny. Um, it's not something which I think is that helpful, though. So I'm with you. Like I, I, I'd get those feelings as well, but I have to sort of fight against myself and think. Well, actually, I saw the same dumb shit 20 years ago too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was possibly even dumber then. Yeah. When you actually think about it, like the supplements that people were taking, for example. Oh, yeah. It 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 was a horror show. Mm, it was. It, it always remind like you would see the in a western the guy would ride into town and he would be selling a tonic, yeah, yeah. And then you would see him ten minutes later getting chased out of town because like five people had died drinking a tonic or they had went blind. <laughs> but I thought it but, was a good point that you made earlier about um, just not thinking about a program and running it. So yeah, that, that yeah. definitely a positive. I think that is definitely a positive. You know, I think there is a, something to be said for just going at your routine with a sort of a blind. Um, dedication to it for sure because I think all too often people are changing routines uh, unnecessarily and I think people are trying to optimize things without really giving them a go first. Um, I, I personally feel to evaluate a program you need to be on it for at least six weeks maybe 12. Most of my routines that I run I run them for a year at a time. Um, the routine that I'm currently I've just changed I've been doing it for about 18 months so I will change very, very infrequently. And I think that's a better way because you can really get to grips with what's, with the ins and outs of a routine, change what you need to. But all too often you hear beginner trainers or that early intermediate phase where they're stuck and they want to optimize a routine to fit themselves. And my retort is always, well, how do you know what works for you? Like you've not really built any muscle. You don't, you've only just barely got past the beginner stage. You're now at the stage where everybody's at. You're stuck as an intermediate, which is you've had to begin against, which let's face it, anybody can get. What do you really know about training? Well, so what what can you optimize? Like you don't actually know what you don't know. And so I think people need to spend some time on a proven routine and figure it out, as in figure themselves out through the routine by doing the routine, sticking to it even blindly for a while. So they learn about themselves, they learn about how they respond to things and then make small minor adjustments. And I think once you understand the top-down principles of a routine, like the frequency, the volume, the intensity, all these factors, you understand that most routines are basically the same. So jumping from one routine to another is really um, pointless, and it only slows your progress. But making minor tweaks which support you, that's a win. Yeah, yeah. It's been quite a difficult time for me with regards to programs because I took a two-year hiatus from uh, lifting and just focused mostly on body weight. But over the last uh, eight months or so, I started to dip my toe back into bodybuilding and started to really enjoy it again. But I was becoming confused 
with the, the 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 genital chat that I was reading, where it was volume, frequency, and intensity, and I'm trying to get, I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around it in the sense that I come from a time, as you said, when the program was just laid out and you did it and you didn't question it, and that was my most productive phase. Whereas now, maybe it's my age, I don't know, or it's just other ways I train. But it doesn't feel as productive because I tend to find I'm over-analyzing things. I'm thinking, how many sets am I doing this week? Does it does that tally up this week? I'm counting how many sets I've done throughout the whole week entirely. And is it 15? And it's just, it's, it's, it's taking the fun out of training for me yeah. to a certain degree. I, I completely understand. I think the age of the superstar researcher is upon us. And I don't really think it's been a net positive for lifting. I think if you if you want to consider research, we can go back to 2010. I think it was roughly 2010, 2009, when um, Matthias Wurmbaum did his meta-analysis of hypertrophy studies at the time. And the stuff he found in that hasn't really changed. Yeah. And that was 15 years ago, 14 years ago now. Um, so, and that was the first real hypertrophy research we had. After that point, we have had some areas of research from certain people which have taken us down a bit of a dead end and we've had to sort of rewind and come back. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, the research on muscle protein synthesis in 2015-ish, before you knew it, everybody was saying that muscle protein synthesis was a direct measure of like hypertrophy and recovery. And so everybody was trying to train three to four times a week, each body part three to four times a week because they had to keep muscle protein synthesis up. We realized very quickly um, that actually MPS has no real relationship to hypertrophy. So that was abandoned. Now, there have been a few of these merry-go-rounds, which have been very confusing for people. And I'm not a fan, let's say. I think they, I, I'm a coach and I was a school teacher. I'm very much a fan of getting people results and doing, you know, giving them a basic prescription so they can get results because that's what people are interested in. Like when I, when I have a client that comes to me, they are usually a professional in their own right. They're like a, a doctor, a lawyer, you know, a plumber, whatever it is. So they are a professional paying for a service. I don't want to, it's not my job to take them on this merry-go-round of theoretical things which may work. It's my job to give them a prescription of what works. And I think that's what should be the job of our prominent researchers in the field. Here's what works. I think what we have is we have and I, I know I know I'm bordering a little bit on old man shouts of the cloud, but hear me out. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we are bordering on some information which is not only less than helpful but also potentially distracting. Um, and I think I think part of that comes from a very small selection of the hypertrophy community, which have a very vocal voice. Like I'll give you an example. If you did want to look into these people, um, which you don't have to. I mean, again, the information is out there, but. Um, for your audience, I would say uh, there's a Dr. Fisher and Dr. Steele in England, in Southampton University, who deliver very good, basic, solid information. And very much what you and I would agree with, you know, like hard work on the basics, train to failure, limited number of sets, fantastic. You don't need to be in the gym all day, no 45 sets or anything like that. Um, just no volume progressions, none of all that stuff, just hard work on the basics. I actually interviewed James Steele on, on my channel and 
It was a very yeah. refreshing conversation of how down to earth he is. Plus, he's jacked. Um, so, yeah, I think with when it comes to people being somewhat um, tired and disillusioned by science, my usual comeback is the science that they are mostly pointing to is a very small slither of the hypertrophy community. And if they look at the less vocal researchers who are putting out good information like Fisher and Steele and also like Wormbomb, they'll realize actually we know what works, um, you know, and it's pretty much set. And some of the conversations in recent history, without naming names, so I don't, I don't want us to turn into one of those kind of chats, um, has been a bit, a bit of a distraction. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think like, like the need for instant gratification has created this drive towards optimizing the whole process? Like we, we get told that there's like everyone does tier lists for exercises, so we're always looking for those exercises that are going to work straight off the bat. Whereas, it, to me, it becomes this experience where you, it's not a journey anymore. It's just get. It's like it's like starting a role playing game, and your characters at level ninety nine straight away, and you get really bored of the game fast. There's no leveling up process. It's like this is the best do this iliac pull down this is the best time to train and during the day this is the best supplement to take at this time and everything's the best and it's like no the the the, the story's always meant to be shit at the start mm. like rocky didn't win his fight at the start of the movie like the rocky's a, a journey if you like as humans we identify with the story mm. and everybody needs to have the story do you get? Do you kind of get what I'm coming from? Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I completely relate to what you're saying. I, I think one of the problems with information exchange on YouTube is it is so heavily dependent on context. So, like for example, as a school teacher, I'm talking to 30 students, of which maybe 10 are paying attention. If I'm lucky, right? So, yeah. Uh, whereas on YouTube, I may be getting two, three, four, five thousand views on a video. Now, they're all going to come from vastly different people. It's going to be Lee over in Scotland. It's going to be like John over in America, completely different. Now, to be able to hone down on a message which applies to each individual person is extremely difficult. Um, and for them to, to take the message which is designed for them, I try to do it. I think one of, my, one of the positive feedbacks that I get is I, I, I do very much make sure I include context. So I say, well, this is for a beginner. This is for advanced guys, particularly with the advanced stuff. I think there's a whole bunch of stuff at the advanced level, which is very interesting to talk about and very productive for the right person. But for the majority of people who are on YouTube, they're probably not advanced. They're guys who are either beginners to intermediates who are looking to make gains. And for those, um, I think there needs to be maybe, it, it just needs to be contextual. I think for some of those guys, maybe they don't often realize that a lot of the information that is being displayed to them isn't for them. It's yeah. for a guy who's much further along, which is not the fault of the viewer. It's it's also not the fault of the YouTuber. It's just the way it is. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's just the one-to-many relationship of YouTube. That's yeah, all. yeah. You tell, I, I would I would always assume that advanced guys aren't going to be going on YouTube for fitness information. Like yeah. the, the majority of people who will watch these videos are beginners who want to take part, who want to get started. So right, so let's 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 get a bit more positive here 
Faz, yeah, all right. We're kind of we're turning into the old men shouting at clouds. There. <laughs> we are, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> just about to start shaking your fist there, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Faz, Faz, what are the components of a successful program? Okay, so let's talk. Um, let's talk exercises. Okay, I'm a big fan of the basics. I am not a massive fan of a lot of isolation work. I think some appropriate isolation work is good, like hamstring curls, useful, you know. Um, obviously, arm work, useful. But more often than not, I'm going to be hitting the basics. Um, big barbell movements, big dumbbell movements. Some machine exercises are great. So big compounds. Like, for example, for my chest right now, I currently do no isolation work at all. Um, for my uh, back, no isolation work at all. My legs, I do extensions, I do curls, carve traces, obviously. Ab work is isolated. Arm work is isolated. Some isolation work for the delts. So the reality of my routine is it's very, very big and basic, even though I'm, I'm at the point where I would be considered to be advanced. I'm, I currently weigh about 190, relatively lean. So yeah, so that's the basis. Now, in terms of volume, which is the popular question of the day, right? Let's tackle that one. I think volume, if you're past the beginner, let's talk beginners first. I think beginners and intermediates get away with as little as you can. I really think people should aim for the minimum that is necessary to get gains before they yeah. move on. Yeah. I don't feel like we need to delve into 20 sets. Um, I think the whole 10 to 20 recommendation is, it's not even a conversation that needs to be had for a beginner or, or even early intermediate. So with all my beginner clients, they're on roughly four to six sets per body part per week, which is a small amount. It's what I did in my first year with the hard gain and stuff. And it makes sense. That's it's a nice amount of volume. That's per body part per week. So yeah. it, it makes for a very abbreviated routine. And that might look like a full body three times a week, which is a nice setup. It might be if they can train four times a week, it could be an upper lower, which is great. I don't normally have beginners on more than four days a week of training. So that's the volume. And in terms of exercise selection, as we talked about. Now, in terms of intensity, this is where I kind of differ from a lot of the guys on YouTube who talk about RER and RPE. I don't think that's something you need to worry about. I think 99% of people just need to train hard. I really don't feel like RAR or RPR is a consideration. Not because I don't believe in them. I think yeah. they are very appropriate. Like I have a, I was, I literally just got off um, a meeting with one of my clients, a consultation. And he's a guy who has to use RAR because he is so strong. He, he's a guy who um, he benches for sets of 10, about three and a quarter plates aside. He's tremendously strong. He's a beast, natural yeah. guy. Squats yeah. ridiculous amount, huge. For him, he has the ability to drive himself into the ground, but that's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, he's an yeah. exceptional athlete. Most of us, like I don't pull back. I train as hard as I can, go all the way to failure. Yeah. Positive failure is fine. So intensity-wise, I think the RAR RPE talk is is nonsense. I actually got this question from a from a guy on my Instagram. I, I answer questions every now and again. And he DM'd me and he said he, he scared, he's a beginner. He, he showed me a video of him overhead pressing 40 kilos, which is like a, a half a plate aside. And he said, I escalate my volume from 10 sets to 20 sets over six weeks. And I take my RAR from two to zero. What do you think I need to do? I was like, holy, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can swear on this, but holy F dude, like just train, bro. Like you're too piss weak. You don't need that stuff. So yeah. Um, yeah so for beginners and intermediates, I, I think just it's RER, RP talk, not necessary. 
at all. Just train, train hard. Part of it is beginners aren't really going to train that hard. They need to learn how to train harder and harder. But also part of it is you're, you're just not going to be able to do much damage to yourself with a 60 kilo overhead press. It's it's only 60. Um, yeah. Once you get to the point where you're a lot stronger, you can actually do damage to yourself. That's where you need to moderate potentially. But but yeah. even then, you know, there's a lot to be said for individualization. So those are the big rocks. So what, what else yeah. did you want to know? Well, just to go back and what you said there, like that was very interesting individualization. And I think that's something that really gets touched upon. And it's something that's became really, really apparent to me as I've got older and had children and just had more going on in my life. Because I miss going to the gym like footless and fancy free, yeah. nothing on in the day, just going and just taking my time and been able to do what I want in two hours, two hours. But now I have serious time constraints when I go in the gym, right? So what about the guys, like, for example, who can only go to a gym, right, uh, three times a week and they can only spend 30 minutes in a gym? Should they just give up because their time will not allow the sufficient volume to take place? How no, would you no. program for these guys? I mean, like... what? So you're describing my brother, my, my eldest brother. <laughs> In fact, funnily enough, my eldest brother, who the one who actually dumped those bodybuilding magazines on my lap 25 years ago, um, he <laughs> currently follows my wizard routine, so my full body right. routine. And uh, he's loving it. He's loving it. Yeah, now, admittedly, yeah. he does train at home, so he's got, he doesn't have the traffic to contend with. But yeah. he says it's great. It's been, a, it's been fantastic for him. So he does full body three days a week. He's maybe a bit longer than 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, but um, he's in and out of the gym. He loves it. He does his basics. If he, if he does have tighter time on the day, he might remove the arm work or the calf work. But basically, he goes in and does the basics. So, for example, Monday, he might squat for a set to five. Um, Wednesday, he might do some leg extensions for a set to 15 or yeah. something else for the quads, like sissy squats, you know. Um, on Friday, he might do front squats for sets of 10. And that's kind of his rotation. And yeah. he'll do the similar thing with bench press, bench press, close grip bench, maybe some overhead press midweek. And do the same thing for lower body as well, uh, like deadlifts, so deadlifts and shrugs, stiff leg deadlifts. So he covers everything with some additional arm work, some isolation work for the shoulders, calves. But he can be in and out pretty quick, and he he loves it. He's he's always saying, you know, his arms are as big as he's ever been. So yeah, he's in a good yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be done. It's just mm. I, what I really mean is it's just more the the how limiting science can be in that respect because it will induce a mindset where you think, well, if I can only do so much then, and I'm being told by these people that it's been proven that you need to do X amount to get Y results. And that's yeah. what kind of bugs me as well about lifting well, nowadays where we have these constraints placed upon us. I think part of the problem is, as I said before, there is a certain small group of researchers who are putting out a lot of information and they're very vocal now. Um, but you have to remember, and I, I'm constantly telling this people, they only represent a very small portion of the hypertrophy research out there. So there are a lot of very sensible, moderate researchers who are putting out good information. And to be honestly, why are we even looking at researchers? I mean, you know, what, what, what's the point you know i mean it's a very well i'm, I'm not anti-science i'm definitely not anti-science but let's face it the hypertrophy field is a baby compared to like, yeah or whatever yeah. so i don't place a lot of importance on it i, I and again yeah. i'm not anti-science i'm very much pro-science my degree is in computer science um and i'm very science-based myself in, in whatever else i think about 
but hypertrophy research is extremely green and we shouldn't yeah. place that much importance on it and and also yeah. as well as that let's being very very honest and maybe a little bit outspoken here most of the hypertrophy research isn't done that well i mean double blinding isn't a thing you know if you if you look at the actual research the study design they're not great by and large because there's not enough money to do it. So yeah. how much, and, and the amount, and again, like I said previously, the amount of times we've been led down a dead end road and had to turn back. I don't have a lot of faith in hypertrophy research. I have lots of faith in strength research. I have lots of faith in science as a whole, but hypertrophy research is not really a hard science like cancer research is or, or, or physics or, or whatever else it's it's very different it like biology you know zoology stuff like that it's completely different hypertrophy research is very very new it's very green and there are portions of it which are not particularly well done and i, and I get it because money is a consideration how much money do we want to spend on getting some meathead slightly larger biceps it's not it's not important compared <laughs> to the bigger problems in the world so i do get it yeah so my my sort of retort to that would be why do we need to put so much focus on science? Why can't we just ignore those voices and do what yeah. works for us? And yeah. if you yeah. if you are as you now are more and more involved in our community, um, you'll realise most of it. That's what most of us do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, something just came into my head as well. When we go, I want to go back to Braun. Have you taken from anything from Braun and still apply it to this day? I think I think there's a lot of positives of Braun. I think so. For example, um, focus on the basics which is very good. Focus on progression, which is very good. Um, but the problem with Braun was this. And I, I knew we were going to get into this conversation, so I'll <laughs> tell you what the problem with Braun was and why Braun was sort of Noble Natty's part version one. And what we have now is an extension of that in the exact areas where Braun and the hard-gaining community was lacking. The big problem with the hard-gaining community was dogmatism. That was what held them back. This stone-cold belief that low volume is all you need ever. Not looking at volume as a variable to manipulate when the time was right. Now, yeah. you, there's only so far you can get on lower volume approaches. Now, as a result, quite a lot of those guys who I knew 20 years ago hadn't made very much progress. And I, I went back into that community, dip, dip, I dipped back into that community a couple of years ago, so 20 years on. Yeah. And most of them, the ones who I recognized from 20 years prior, were just as small as they were when I knew them 20 years ago. <laughs> now, that's a damn shame. And you know what? They'll tell you. They'll tell you, well, I've got a family. I've got kids. I don't have time for all that. And it's like, well, you've got three or four hours a day to stay on Facebook and tell me why I'm wrong. But you don't have three <laughs> or four hours to actually go and train, you know? So the problem with that community was dogmatism. They held on. To, everything else was really goodly. I loved the community. I was, I was a leader in that community as much as I could be. I was a yeah. big proponent of it. Where they went wrong was they were dogmatic when it came to volume. Everything yeah. else was fantastic. It was a great written book. But they were so dogmatic that they ended up not getting the results. So as a result, it brought everything else down. It brought the standards down. So you remember the classic three, 300, 400, 500 squat bench and deadlift numbers. Yeah. Most of those guys didn't really believe they could do it. They didn't really believe because the dogmatism had held them back. And over time, their belief in those standards that, that they could achieve those had eroded. So that yeah, was the problem. Yeah. Now, in the community we have now, we have better information. We also have a much stronger sense of self-belief because the information has opened us up in terms of getting results. 
there yeah, are more of yeah. us now who are yeah. actually achieving results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and that was what held it back. And I, I really had a lot. Of, I, I, I will say, I, I loved that community back in the day. But when I hit a plateau at a 200-pound bench, 90-kilo bench, they all told me I'd hit my genetic limit. It was ridiculous, right? I went on to bench 180 kilos three times in my life. Yeah. Double, double what they said I'd hit when I hit my yeah. limit because yeah. I increased my knowledge. And mm -hmm. that is what held them back, the dogmatism. So um, there are things I still maintain, but it was such a shame because the, the dogmatism wrecked that community. They could have been great. Yeah. It's almost like uh, dogmatism, Some like it's like a comfort blanket in some respects. Like you're, you're protecting yourself from things like you know you might not be able to achieve, so you try to like share your worldview or impose your worldview in that yeah. respect. But the thing yeah, about I... Braun, sorry, no, go on, sorry. The thing about Braun to me was like you like mentioned at the start. It was the writing. It was very. There was a passion in the way the book came across. It it spoke to you because when that book came out. Nobody squatted. Very rarely did you see a deadlift being performed in a commercial gym. Commercial gyms were like carpet everywhere, blue carpet. Like, like pump up the jam playing and the guys walking about in singlets and aerobics. It was very sanitised to a certain yeah. degree. And Bron was speaking about squats, so you felt part of something. Yeah, it was very gritty. It was very British. Yeah, yeah, very British. You just and it really, I was like, no, I was, I never seen anybody squat, and that's what sucked me in with Bron. It was mm. the words. If I was to read it nowadays, I would be like, what, <laughs> like, what was I thinking? But to go back to what I said earlier, it's part of the journey. You need to make those mistakes. Yeah. You need to like buy into something, mm. get passionate about it, and take the the stuff that worked, the good stuff, and move on to the next phase. Which, which leads me to my next question, Faz, and this is something I've always wanted to ask you. What's, what's the next phase in your tra training journey? Where, where, do you, where, where, where are we going with your training? Like, are we always going to be lifting weights, bodybuilding? Are we going to start to move into another area? Or Yeah, so I did have, I did have some thoughts at one time about possibly the next step would be a marathon. Because I thought, well, I've done... I've done powerlifting, done strongman, um, I've done bodybuilding. Um, a cool thing to do as I grow older, maybe marathon training. Now, <laughs> I did I did end up running, like I'm, I'm very bad at running, like really bad, because I've just been a lifter my whole life. Yeah. Um, I, I did end up running like a 10K, which is obviously nothing compared to a marathon. Um, but it was a it was a step in the right direction. But um, I, I don't know, Lee. I mean, my the thing is, if you train for lifting weights and heavy weights for 20 years, your body changes in a way which isn't conducive to lifting. Like I am, I can lift all day, but running and cardiovascularly, I'm fit, you know, I'm healthy, I'm fit, but, but asking me to run is a very different type of stress on my knees, on my joints. I'm not the smallest guy either. So I find running quite difficult on my joints. I know yeah. Mark Bell is doing great. He's, he's kicking ass and doing marathons, but I had considered, but I think the last few years has been very busy for the business. I will be honest and say it's probably only this year, 2023, where I'm finally feeling like I may be ready to compete again. So I've been I've been dieting for a little while um, because I've got holiday coming up. So I'm going to carry on dieting towards that. I don't know. May, maybe we might see me doing a, another bodybuilding show at some point. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, yeah. so 
but it's not it's not something that I have a burning desire to do. I think I can just see myself carrying on lifting, be a good body fat percentage, be healthy um, until I'm old and decrepit. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, when you were training for your 10K, how did you go about that? It took a long time. I was so bad at running, you know. For some, for, for a lot of people, 10K is like pretty easy, right? Um, yeah. But it probably took me about three years to get to that point. <laughs> really? And yeah, I mean, it was bad. I remember the first year I tried to run and I was just, I would get shin splints. My knees would hurt. My ankles would hurt. I, remember, I specifically remember the first year, it was shin splints and knees. The next year, it was foot and ankles. The year after, it was my hamstrings. Just recently, it was my lower back and hamstrings again. It was always just something because yeah. it's just very unusual stress. Um, and it's all well and good saying build up to it slowly, but you know, I was, I was building up to it slowly. Um, but it just got to a point where it's very hard to adapt at a certain age to new things. My body knows lifting. It's designed, it's well, not designed, but it's adapted to lifting now. Yeah. Getting it to do running was very difficult. So when I when I did the tanker, I was extremely proud of myself because I thought this is actually like three years worth of training, which is gonna sound ridiculous <laughs> to people watching. I know, I know how it sounds. <laughs> um, but it wasn't it wasn't the cardiovascular conditioning that was a problem, it was just my joints. Just yeah, yeah, no, running. no, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's the thing about running, it's uh, your heart and lungs could go all day. But it's yeah. the wear and tear on the ankles and knees. It's in the calves. It's yeah. it can be brutal. So just just as a point of interest, because obviously I've already made reference to your Sherlock Holmes quality information gathering skills. But uh, what information were you using to train for the the ten k? So uh, there was a, there's a guy called um, Andrew Reed in Australia. He's um, he's a running coach. So mm -hmm. I was following one of his routines, which he puts out on the internet for free. And it was really good. It was fantastic. So that was great. And um, the routine was solid. So it was, it was pretty solid, but it was just my ability to adapt. As, as gentle and as slow as it was, my ability to adapt was pretty poor. I mean, this year, I, I remember now, this year it was my calf. Calf kept popping. So um, yeah. it was very slow. It was very gradual, very gentle. Andrew is, is a great coach in, in doing what he does. But um, yeah, just very difficult to, to adapt to it. Yeah. Have you, uh, did you experience the runner's high? I did a couple of times, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. I did go through spells where I was doing pretty well, but then it would always be punctuated with an injury. So, yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. No, I did. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I still, I, I do still run. Um, so every Saturday I go to the local park and I do a 5k. So, you know, I, I'm okay, but yeah. um, marathon yeah. is, uh, is a different kettle of fish. Yeah, I mean, like, I can just tell through your demo right now, even talking about running, I'm thinking a marathon's like a, a crazy idea. Like, that, that's that's going to be pushing the envelope. I think so, yeah. yeah. Maybe if I was younger, <laughs> my body was less adapted to lifting. You know, but I mean, 25 years of heavy lifting, which is it's a long time. So, have you ever read the Tactical Barbell books? No, who's that? Uh, it's a, a guy called K Black. You don't know his name because he works for Special Ops, Spec Ops in America. But okay. he wrote a series called The Tactical. But they're, they're brilliant. I would suggest uh, picking them up because they are a goldmine with regards to strength and conditioning and simplifying the concepts. Uh, and I would also like to get your take on one of the books, which is The Tactical Barbell Mass Protocol. It would be good okay. to hear the the, the Faz lifts. Uh, opinion on that but listen Faz 
It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to have to go and take care of the kids. I've left them in their bed, so... And I've not heard a peep from them. And you know what they say. If you don't hear for kids in a, an hour or two, you know something's up. They're up to mischief. <laughs> Absolutely. But once again, Faz, absolute pleasure having you on. You are a gold mine of knowledge. Uh, and hopefully I can get you on again at some point. Lee, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I'd love to be on again. We can talk more about hypertrophy and more get get more into the specifics of talking about muscle growth if you like. I think that'd be great fun. Um, but uh, fantastic to sit down and talk, and it's been really nice getting to know you as well. So thank you very much for having me on your channel. Likewise, Faz. Absolute pleasure.